Light and darkness don't battle with each other. You flip the light on and darkness is gone, right? So darkness actually only exists in the vacuum of the absence of light. We're the light. We're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. If the people of God were to be full of faith in their heart, the very last thing we should do is run from evil, but run to the battle. I think some of us are worried that the light will get dirty if we get too close. Don't leave the world to the flies. Where's our faith at right now? Hi, guys. Good to see you. I want to welcome all of our campuses in. Obviously, Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, our online folks, all the folks that uh, would partake uh, of what Jubilee is and who Jubilee is over this weekend. We just want to make you feel welcome, and we're really glad that you are here. Uh, two disclaimers. First one is um, I, I, just sometimes being a leader, you just have to do things that don't, they're not always, um, they don't, yeah. Um, so we've been trying to raise money for a new campus that we want to um, plant in our Parker uh, area, people that are coming to Jubilee from that area. And as we've endeavored to do that, been a great response to it. Um, in the um, in, in the thought that everything that we do financially needs to be as above board and as transparent as possible. That's my heart and my mindset right now. As we've tried to raise the money, here was, here was the situation. Um, we're using uh, two things together. We have the opportunity to buy our Highlands Ranch property, our Highlands Ranch office and location. We have a lot of equity in that building, approximately a million and a half dollars. And by buying that building, not only does it help uh, for the future of our church, but we also, by putting everything together, we cut our expenses by about $25,000. And that's just, look, it's a no-brainer. And as we went to our bank and talked to our bank about it, our bank put the strong arm on us, basically, and just said, look, we want a certain amount of money, half a million dollars, 500000 in the bank by the time we close the loan in September. And I, I'm in a position where I, I'm, I'm not a banker, and I don't have millions of dollars to, uh, to try to leverage banks with. I have to do what the bank says, and then I have the job of standing before you and reporting it to you after we have all the meetings, just so that you know. These are not like new things. I can't buy any property or sell any property. It's all done in the corporation's name with the approval of the membership, and so these are all meetings that we've already had with all the information out there, and uh, and then I have to stand up in front of the whole congregation and say, here's what happened. Well, some of you who are very knowledgeable with finances simply have been writing in and saying, your bank is doing you wrong. You should not need that kind of money to go along with the equity position that you're in, if that is the case. So we took your emails to the bank. <laughs> just want you to know, this is exactly what happened. Uh, Pastor Todd um, just simply leveraged your emails with the bank, and the bank has relented on their position um, at this point. Yeah, fantastic deal. Okay. Great news for us. Um, it relieves pressure of having to raise it so quickly. We still need to have the money, but it's when we close the loan. The loan closes the end of the year. That's when everything is said and done. So our time limit is a little better. Here's the thing. Does it then take the pressure off of what we're trying to do? And here, here's the temptation. The temptation is just to say nothing because nothing changed in what we did. The bank changed. But in the the clearest essence, 
Everything I say, the only thing I really have when you take everything away is integrity. Either you believe me or you don't believe me, and that includes when I teach the Bible. And so in the, in the idea that you've got to be able to trust everything that I say, I just want you to know everything that's happened. We still need to raise the money, quite honestly, and here's why. We can't plant the campus without the money. There's no way to do it, but I do want you to know that the bank changed their position, and that's a good thing, but it also necessitates me still saying, hey, we need to do this, and I don't want you to feel like, ah, oops, not a big deal. It's, it's a big deal. We want to we do it. This last thing is important. I want you to look at me. This is every campus. I want you to hear this. If you feel in any way, shape, or form that we raised money in some, you got money out of me and it wasn't quite what you said, we will give your money back to you without any question being asked. And all you would need to do to get that is to contact Pastor Todd. Um, you can email him. You can call into the church office. I've already told Todd, give it back without any questions asked and give it back that day. Don't, don't make any issue out of it. So if you feel in any way, shape, or form that we raised that money somehow, like you told us the pressure was on and it's really, you're... I, I know, I know churches have a bad reputation with money. I know we live in a day and an age where it seems like what's said is not really what it is. This is exactly what it is. And I get the unfortunate part of having to stand up trying to communicate all these things. And, and it sounds like, God, did you really know what you were talking about when you first stood up there? I knew exactly what I was talking about with the information that was given to me. If the information changes, then I have to stand in front of you and just simply say that's what it is. Any further question about this, please let us know. I don't want you to be confused on the issue. I apologize for even having to take time to do it. But if you're me, what else would you do? Would you just keep your mouth shut? And if somebody found out it wasn't that way, you would think I lied to you. And you would think I deceived you. I would rather you think I'm an idiot than I deceived you. <laughs> I, honestly, I would rather you think he's just kind of bumbles than he would intentionally deceive us through, through anything. And so that's, that's the long and the short of it. And if there's any question we can answer for you, please uh, let us know. Second, um, the second thing, and I, I just debated on this, but I'm going to, um, and I'm struggling with a kidney stone right now. It's a nine millimeter stone, um, and it can't pass by itself, and I'm going to have to have surgery for this stupid thing, and I'm set to leave for Israel in three days. So they're like, the doctor's like, you can't go. And I said, I'm going, and that's just all there is to it. So like I prepared all the Israel people. You may have to take me to the hospital. Um, I, I feel pretty good, and it's not, they did like a scan thing to see where, it, so I mean, the chances of it actually moving out and really being a problem are not there, but I would appreciate your prayers, and I would appreciate your prayers right now. I just, uh, I, all my staff's praying for me, and, and, and our intercessors are praying, and um, you know, you could just, it's just like an emotional thing to have to be dealing with everything at once. What a wimp that is to sound like that. But just, maybe just pray for me. So uh, let's, let's get your notes and let's go. Let's, uh, let's get this done. Um, that's, that, may be the, that may be the most important thing this weekend. So I uh, just want to welcome all of our churches again, all of our friends, all of our visitors. We are so glad that you are here. We're in a series called uh, Salt, and we're just simply taking um, from Matthew's gospel something that Jesus said to believers 2,000 years ago, and yet it wasn't just simply in space and time to people 2,000 years ago. It's just as applicable today because he was talking to believers, and it's his opinion about how we're supposed to view ourselves in the world. And he's actually talking to people who live in very uh, evil days, difficult circumstances. They're not, it's not popular to be a Christian 
during this time. It's not, it's not popular to be a Christ follower. You're, you're not on the, on the inside track if you say you love God. In fact, just the opposite. Today, our, our worst thing today that we live with is trying to figure out how to walk in wisdom. We, we have truth, but how do we walk in wisdom so that we don't turn people off? With You can kill people with truth. Do you, do you know that? that? Truth is right, and we want to stand for the truth, and we want to be the people of truth, but you can beat people to death with truth. And Jesus had truth, but he never killed people with truth. He used truth as a, as a measure to give life. Our worst thing today is trying to figure out how to walk in wisdom with truth. Their biggest hurdle 2,000 years ago was trying to figure out how to hold on to truth without losing their heads. What a world of difference. So when people come in, they're like, it's just such, it's so difficult to be a believer. It's not difficult to be a believer. It's the greatest day in the world to be a believer. God's doing more on the earth today than ever before. And I realize we don't hear that so much, but this, this, I, my heart in this series has been that more than anything, I don't want you to get more knowledge out of teaching. I want you to have the practical steps. How do we live out being salt in this earth today? So it really comes from Matthew's gospel. Here's what Jesus told uh, his followers. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And you're like a city that's been set on a hill that's not supposed to be covered up. You're supposed to be seen from a great distance. And even more so, as it gets dark, that city should be able to be seen from, from the farthest, farthest point so that you know where you're aiming at. That's truth, man. It's to be set on a hill so people see it. That's who we are, and that's what we're supposed to look like, and that's how God wants us to walk through this earth. So this message, I guess, would be how to do those things, but to do it in such a way that you can practically do it and do it in a way that you walk with wisdom in it. So at the transition points in your notes, I'm going to take you to uh, a scripture from Mark's gospel. This is Jesus uh, walking with the disciples, and he's just come from some really incredible miracles. Now they're headed to Jerusalem, and Jesus just matter-of-factly turns to the disciples and just says to them, listen, uh, up till now it's gone really good for us. Big crowds, everything I've said has been exactly right. You've seen how we've grown. Uh, it's like everything is going our way, but here's what's about to happen. It's going to change. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and the people that have cheered me are all going to turn on me now, and I'll absolutely give my life, and I will be dead, but three days later... I'll rise from the dead. Now, you would think the disciples, hearing that information, would ask him questions like, what's that going to be like, and how are we going to get through this? But instead, here's what they do, and I want you just to see the humanity here. So they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. They were astonished because of the things they just saw him do with the miracles, while those who followed were afraid. Isn't that funny? The ones who walk with them as disciples are astonished. And the other people, instead of being like, that was incredible, they're actually like, what was that? They're afraid. So again, he took the 12 aside, like he always did, and he told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him they will spit on him, they will flog him, and ultimately, they will kill me. Three days later, though, I will rise from the dead. Then James and John, the two closest, the sons of Zebedee, come to him. Teacher, how terrible this is going to be. No. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask right now. So I want you to just think about that for a moment. 
They just come from watching miracles and they're astonished. Jesus point blank tells them, okay, it's really going well for us, but it's all going to change right now. And here's how bad it's going to get. Now, I mean, if Jesus, if I said to you, I'm about to deliver a nine millimeter stone, <laughs> it's really going to be bad. I would hope that you would say, man, I feel bad for you. I'm, gonna, I'm with you. I would hope you would not say, that's awesome, but here's what I want you to do for me right now. <laughs> how silly. Does that, is that yes or no? So I, here's what I would point out to you again. When you read the Bible, when people say to you, why do you believe what you believe? What, one of the factual reasons, read it in the context. If somebody is trying to sell you a load of baloney, they write this thing out like the disciples were then amazed. And they all laid hands on Jesus. Not so, Jesus. But they write it like these people really responded. No one's trying to sell you anything. This was written. Mark, not an eyewitness, but a friend, heard it directly from Peter and then wrote these things down. Right? So this is not written to, to make it look a particular way. It's written like this is exactly... This guy had to stand up in front of his people and say, things have changed, and I want you to know the whole truth. That's exactly what happened right there. That was good. I'm like a disciple. All right. So, all right, sorry. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we... Looks like they're trying to pin him right now. Before we tell you what it is, just agree, you'll do it. <laughs> Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup? I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm being baptized with. And they just answer kind of flippantly, yeah, we can. And Jesus said to them, well, you're going to. You'll drink the cup that I drink and you'll be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or, or my left is not for me to grant to you. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared ahead of time. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, now imagine... He's got, in just a couple of days, he's going to give his life, and now he's got to pull his team together and refocus them. Did you not hear what I said? So Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. This sentence, not so with you. So this is the way the world does it. Fellas, the way you're acting right now, here's what he's trying to tell them. The way you're acting... It's the way that the people of the world act. You want authority. And here's what Jesus tells his believers. All my authority I'm giving to you. As I leave, you've got my authority. So go into the world, man, with my authority. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out demons, man. You're my people. You have my authority. But this is what he tells them. Here's how I want you to balance it. You know how the people in the world balance their authority. If they have it, they lord it over you. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you have bosses like that that you work for every day. And they lord it over you and they put it on you and they exercise their authority. Some of you are in marriages like that. Some of you have friends like that. Some of you find yourselves in situations where you know exactly this hasn't changed in 2,000 years. The people of this world who have that kind of authority can exercise their powers in ways that are not helpful. But instead condemning and hurtful. And so he's saying, look, this is the way the world does it. What he's trying to tell them is, here's how you're acting right now. You're acting like the world does. You're wanting to use this great position and authority that I've given you in the wrong way. The world does it that way, but not so you. This is why I've come to spend time with you. I don't want you to act this way. Here's how I want you to act. Instead, whoever wants to become great 
should become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must really become a slave. And then he finishes it with this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So not so you. But this is what it should look like. The world acts this way, but I want you to be this way. So here would be the three like most practical things that if you really want to be salt and light and like a city that's set on a hill, it's not that you have to go out there and like I'm going to lord it over people and I'm going to let up. Some of us leave church, but I'm going to shut. And that's not it. And some of us leave, I'm going to make sure that the people who don't know God know what righteousness is. And that's not it either. God doesn't call you to act that way or be that way or walk that way. And it's so easy to confuse who we are when we think we have this thing we're supposed to represent to go out there and think I'm going to lord it over people and I'm going to rule strong and I'm going to be this. And Jesus goes, not so with you. That's not how I did it and I want you to do it like I did it. And even the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve. You know what's funny? I mean, I struggle with this because... When this was little and it was just Chris and I and a few friends that were doing it, the whole idea was like bottom up, let's serve. But as it grew big, it's funny how you can have this tendency to think to yourself, really, it's all about what I've done. And I bet, look, I'm just being real honest with you now. The battle constantly to remember this isn't about me. This isn't here to serve me or to give me what I want or to make sure that what my needs are taken care of. I've got to always remember my attitude has to be that I'm here to serve. I'm here to do that first and foremost. And here's the truth. That doesn't come easy to me. I know all of you, it's real easy. I know all of you, man, when it's like, what's in it for me? You always think, I never think that. I always think, what's in it for somebody else? And how do I serve somebody else? I know none of you struggle with what I'm about. Maybe this is just a confession of the soul is all this is. A purging of your pastor's sin in front of everybody. So here's what I would just say if you really want to walk this out. Here, here's what I'm trying to tell you. you. You can't go walk this out. It's far easier to act like those disciples acted rather than to do what Jesus tells us to do. They walked with him every day for three years. And at the most critical time when you would hope that they got it, they didn't get it. And he had to remind them. The only reason I say that to you, is it possible you could walk with God every day and not always get it? So give you three things that I just think, if you're going to really be salt and really be light and be a city set on a hill, you're really going to walk these things out. Here's sort of what has to happen. And this is what I, every day, man, this is a wrestling with me. So just one, you got to have this attitude. Attitude, they say, is like everything. And I think heart, is really what attitude comes from. When you see a person's attitude, it really is a reflection of what's going on in a heart. Philippians 2.5, Paul writes this, speaking of Jesus to a group of churches, and he just simply said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So, like, that, if you're going to walk this out, what was that attitude? How do, you, how do you do, it's like, read it, but how do you really do it? So I'm going to tell you what I have to pray every day. It's just, it's, these are, I, I, I am not making this up. This is not reading from somebody else's book or hearing somebody else. This is examining my heart and really wanting to try to walk these things out and not make it about me and not be like, Jesus, I'm doing this because I get something out of it. 
Here's three things I have to pray every day. The first one is just every day I pray change my heart. Do you ever pray that? So, I mean, I literally mean that because I, I don't, I, again, maybe it's cathartic and I'll just confess it, but I can be so judgmental. I'll read a newspaper and be judgmental about every story of every person I read in the newspaper. I'll watch the news and I'll think, what idiots are out there? You know who really gets this? The Lakewood people are very holy and they get this message. And the Castle Rock people right now are like, amen to this. Highlands Ranch is like, eh, it's all right. The <laughs> Lone Tree, man, get what I'm saying. Every day I've got to pray, God, change my heart. Because I've realized in my own self, without a heart change, every day that I tend to be very judgmental towards people. I judge situations very quickly. I form opinions without thinking about it. They're rooted in who I am as a person. They're rooted in my biases and the way that I was raised and the way that I think. And my mind and my heart left unchanged to its own devices. I naturally tend to go to a darker side and judge people. I don't speak it out loud. God forbid, no Christian does that. It's just the way we treat people. Let's pray every day, change my heart, change my heart, change my heart. It's not enough to just pray, change my heart, but here's what needs to happen. Create in me the right heart towards people so that I want to love them, so that I feel what you feel for them, so that I'm not just reading the Bible and becoming smarter in my brain while my life is less and less impactful in people's lives. And here's what I know. People today, we know, you'll know these scriptures and we say, are you living them? It's rhetorical. I'm only, you don't need to raise your hand or say, yeah, do you live them? Does it even bother you if you're not? Because if it doesn't, then it's a heart change. It's, you don't need to yell amen. And you don't need to raise your, woo. You, it's got to be a heart change. Maybe the last one I just pray every day is, God, help me not lean on my own understanding. <laughs> you know, I was challenged with that, this money thing. I, I said, the temptation is just, don't say anything, because you didn't, the bank did it. So you don't need to say anything because I don't want to not raise the money. But that's leaning into my own understanding of how to do things. And here's what needs to happen. If God wants it to happen, then what a great opportunity now for him to be even stronger in this situation if it's going to happen. And if not, then don't lean into your own understanding and try to make things. Can I just talk to you for a minute? What we really learn how to do is to be strong people of the flesh and we say we want God's will, but we're out to control how God does what he does. And so we can manipulate. I can manipulate. Not you. I can manipulate. And I can control. And I can try to force and then say it was God. And maybe that's why we don't see a lot of miracles today. Because we don't need God to do them. We do our own. And they fall far short of what God would do for us. Have this attitude. How about this? Ask this question. Want to be salt? Hey, the church is at its best when it asks this one question in regards to this world. How can I help? Ask this question. How can I help? Okay, have this attitude that Jesus had. Let me show you how Jesus did this. He would ask this question over and over and over again. He didn't just walk up and go, how could I help? But look, you'll see it right here. This is Mark 10. 
Look at this. Jesus just simply says to a person who's in great need. This person needed to see. And this person's yelling out for Jesus. Here's what the person's yelling. Jesus, touch me, I'm blind. Now you would think that would be enough for Jesus to know what to do. Let's try that over here. So let's take it slower. The person's yelling at him, touch me, I'm blind. You would think, we now know what I'm supposed to do. And yet Jesus stops and asks this question. What do you want me to do for you? It's funny to me. <laughs> I see great humor in this because it, I, why would you ask that? What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. Guy's been yelling out, stop, talk to me. He's been by the road for years and years and years and years. They know who he is. They know what he needs. Here's what Jesus is really asking. How can I help you? And the church is at its best when it asks that one question. How can I help in a situation? Not how do I give judgment. How do I cast the first stone? That's what religious people do really well. Jesus was the antithesis to that response. The woman caught in adultery. Yes, she's wrong. Yes, she's caught dead to rights. Yes, the law says we can stone her. And they've got their rocks ready. And they put Jesus to the test. The law says stone her. What do you say? Jesus in wisdom Here's what I say. If you haven't sinned, go ahead and throw. Love that. Love it. I wish I had that kind of wisdom. I wish God would give me that kind of comeback. I always think of it in my car on the way home after. Going back. I got to say this. It's too late. (laughs) How can I help? Jesus did this so well. So he tells the woman, you remember the story, he tells the woman, uh, where are your accusers? I see none, therefore, neither do I accuse you. Leave your life of sin and go your own way. So he doesn't kill her, but nor does he condone what she, he found the way to introduce her to life. What wisdom is in that? If the church could ask the question first, how do we help? Then maybe the wisdom of God could be applied in the situation. But if our first thought is, how do we correct what's wrong? There's a difference between that and how do I help? Can I say it again? Some of you will not like this message because it's not the Christianity you grew up with. Thank God you're here now. How can I help? If you happen to lead people and be in a position of authority, the most important question you could ask the people who serve you and who love you. If you are a husband in a family and you're trying to lead your family and you have ch- the most important question, how can I help? What can I do to help? Not how do I hurt or how do I stop or even how do I fix, which could come from a good place. It's how do I help you? That question asked first is so diagnostic and then listen to what people say. I'm stuck and I don't know how to get free. Ask that question. What do you want me to do for you? This is the last one. So maybe I just threw this in. I, I don't. I, I, somehow today, somehow the teaching of grace, and I think, man, this church, I think I have a good understanding of grace and I teach grace. I grew up as a kid in, in legalism and religion and was taught the list of do's and don'ts really well. And, and as, a, as a young believer, um, 
went to a Bible college that very much was skilled in the do's and the don'ts. And I would think maybe for the first, the first several years of my ministry, I taught um, do's and don'ts, really keep the law. I didn't think I was teaching that, but that's keep the law, try harder, work at it. Live your life trying hard. Be like Avis, just a little, try a little harder, man. Just come on, you can do it. <laughs> God's not quite pleased with you. Just keep doing what you're doing because eventually he's going to smile at you. It's this revelation, we already have his smile. You can live from his smile or for his smile. And that difference is so much more than the semantics that you just heard right now. People living for his smile are trying so hard right now. You're here tonight because you're trying so hard. You don't want to be here, but you made yourself. <laughs> and now you're convinced I was more right. I should have stayed home. <laughs> so maybe I just threw this one in because I think somehow the idea of doing works, if you embrace grace, the idea of doing works somehow has gotten uh, almost a mixed signal like... Um, Man, we're just about grace. We don't have to do anything. But doing good. Do good. Can I say, do good. Live your life to do good, man. You got one shot at doing good. Do good. That sounds so easy to do good. I didn't say be good. My friend, look at me. I didn't say be good. I said do good. Any opportunity. So look, it's like little things. So I'm a, I'm a Palisade peach freak. If you go here any length of time, man, that's like my, that's my fruit. I read the paper three days ago, best harvest in 40 years. Told my wife, I need a peach pie so desperately right now. I got a kidney stone, I need a peach pie. Somebody in our church baked me a peach pie and they had no idea. No idea. It was like a kiss from, it's like God took my forehead and went, I love you. <laughs> I'm still with you. I haven't left you. I didn't abandon you. Little peach pie, I had two pieces for dinner three nights ago. That's what I ate for dinner. Didn't I? That's what I had for dinner. Whipped cream, everything. I don't know. It's not, you just, it's a big deal. Oh. The church is at its best when it thinks, how do I do good in this world? Do you know every major crisis around the world, the first responder is always the church. Now, it's never written that way in the newspaper, but I want you to know the Haiti earthquake a few years ago. Do you know who was there on the spot? It wasn't the Clinton Foundation. And that's not an anti-Clinton statement. What you read in the newspaper, it was the church. The church was burying the dead. The church was giving people fresh drinking water. The church at its best asked that question, how do I do good? And around the world today, the church is doing more today to do good in this world. But all we hear about are the one or two that are doing bad. The church around the world today, it does, it's at its apex, its zenith. It shines the brightest when it asks the question, how do we do good? And God, what a force to be reckoned, excuse me for spitting. What a force to be reckoned with 
Matthew, it's Jesus just again. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good, say it with me, works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. I think all of us, man, if you love God and you've given your life to Christ and that's like, then our ambition should be, how do I bring glory to the Father? And Jesus just makes it really well. Live your life so that your light so shines before people so that they'll look at your good works. And they'll praise God. The artwork on display never says, look at me. The artwork underneath it all says there's an artist behind it who's really talented. You on display should never say, look at me. It should speak of the artist hand at work behind the scene. And the best you can do is to be put on display so that it gives praise to God. So that it gives praise to God. So that when you're not at your best, you still give your greatest offering because it speaks of him and not you. It really is that. To show up and give your best because it speaks of him and not you. God's great. God's awesome. It's about God. So Lord, we just take the opportunity right now to let your word just impress upon our hearts and our lives and not to just go, ah, I've been there, done that, or I know that, or I got that, but it's to allow the Holy Spirit to be able to saturate our heart and to speak to us and to put directives in our heart, go this direction, do this, stop that, be this. Maybe Jesus to pull us together and remind us, look, that's the way the world does it. That's the way the people who don't get it think, but not so with you. This isn't the way that I want you to do it. Here's how I want you to do it. I want you to be like me. I want you to get that my example is not just, wow, look at what God can do, but it's really, look what a man in right relationship with his father can do on this earth. I don't know if you just heard that or not. Jesus' example to us is not, wow, God's awesome. Jesus' example is, look what a man in right relationship with his father can accomplish. Look what a woman in right relationship with her father can be. God, that relationship with you, when it's everything and preeminent and working in our life right, man, what an opportunity to show people. God, help us with that. Lord, I thank you for that, and I give you honor for that. I pray, speak, Lord, to our hearts. Change our heart. Create in us the right heart. And help us, God, not to lean into our understanding as we go through this world, but to really lean into you. The very problem with experience is that it teaches us how to judge. And so we always find ourselves judging because we've been there or done that or seen this. And you always want us to remain innocent in you. To allow you to show us things and teach us things and help us to respond the right way. Help us right now. To get different hearts. Changed hearts. Innocent hearts. Right hearts. God, I just thank you for that.
And I give you honor for that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hey, I'm going to turn it over to all of your campus pastors right now. So at each of our campuses, the campus pastor will come and direct any ministry. Man, be blessed by that. Take a few minutes and see if God has anything for you in that.